All right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. Raf Giallo here, and I'm going to be joined very shortly by former Dundalk goalkeeper Gary Rogers and also with journalist David Snade, where we're going to reflect back on Ireland's Nations League campaign in the colder light of a week on from the Armenia game. We're also going to look ahead to Shamrock Rovers' trip to Molde. They're heading up to Norway to play their third Europa Conference League group game, and we'll be looking to try and pick up their first point, and it's going to be a tough one on the road, so we'll see how they get on. But we'll, we'll tease all that out a little bit later on. We'll also talk League of Ireland, where Shamrock Rovers have maintained their lead at the top and Derry City are still giving chase, but also there were significant results at both ends of the table. And we'll also be talking about Liverpool. We have Champions League action live on RT2 and the RT player. They're playing Rangers on Tuesday, so tune in for that at 7.30 tomorrow. But before we do that, we're heading into a very crucial week and a half for the Republic of Ireland women's national team. Vera Powell's side, of course, have the second round of the playoff next Tuesday. And again, we don't know the opponent because this Thursday at Hampton Park, Scotland take on Austria and the winner of that will play Ireland. Obviously, it's a very convoluted process as we've discussed at length in the podcast previously about how um, Ireland can get to the World Cup. If they're lucky enough, if they're the two best winners of the three second round playoff teams, they go direct to the World Cup, but they could also be in the unlucky position of being the third team that has to go through a more convoluted playoff process against teams from other confederations. So VR Power and her staff will obviously be keeping a very close eye on Thursday's game between Scotland and Austria because they're both very tough teams. We saw Austria getting to the knockout stage of the European Championships this summer and they gave England a really good game in their uh, in the opening game of the tournament before then beating what is normally a very, very good Norway to get to a knockout game against Germany, where they gave a good account of themselves, uh, but bowed out at that stage. And Scotland have experience of playing in major tournaments as well. But Vera Pau named her squad last week. There have been a good few injuries, but RT Sports' David Kelly was speaking to her on Friday where she outlined some of the selection calls and also touched on the qualification process and how they're going to prepare for a match in which they're still waiting to find out who their opponent is. Vera, first of all, just to give us an overview of the squad selection, 28 players selected. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, some uh, quite high-profile names unavailable, though. Yeah, that is um, the reality that we have to deal with. Um, We have a big squad like um, we have always since Corona to have at every every line an extra player. Uh, And now we have 28 because we needed uh, one player extra to get the flexibility to make our choices because of those injuries. One of the most notable players returning, of course, and one of the most experienced is uh, Liverpool's Niamh Fahey. Um, yes, and we're very happy that she's back uh, back playing. Um, we see how it's going on, but she looked very good against Chelsea. Uh, she played the full 90 there. And um, well, th- that, is, that is a bonus to get that experience back in our team. And just explain to me about the difficulty of the situation you find yourself in, because obviously you're naming the squad today, but we don't know who we're playing yet. <laughs> yes, we only know on the 6th of October. Um, and we're sending three scouts to, uh, to the game. One for one team, one for the other team, and Tom Elms himself, because he is presenting to the squad and doing the analysis of the opposition always. Um, he will be there to have the feeling of the, of, of the team, so that gives that little edge extra. And obviously you have a connection to Scotland, having managed there before. Would yeah. you prefer to be playing Scotland? 
I don't prefer any, any team. They're both equally very, very good. Uh, different playing styles. Um, Aust uh, the Austrian team is very well organized with some, some stars in it. Um, Scotland is more dynamic, forward, um, uh, less predictable. And um, well, we see who wins. If Scotland wins from Austria, they're the better team. So then you would want Austria. If Austria wins, um, you would have preferred Scotland. So yeah, uh, they're equally at the same level, but complete different playing styles. Now, obviously, the winner over Slovakia guaranteed a place in the second uh, qualifying round, which is what you'd be playing against Scotland or Austria. But it is quite a convoluted qualifying system. And we, we could have a situation whereby when the Republic of Ireland play their game, if they've won it, they may not know at that stage if they've qualified. Yeah, it's a bit weird that those games are not played at the same time. Uh, at least it's not a demand. We hope that it will be at the same time, but it's still not decided. Um, but it's not a demand to play at the same time. And that's weird because the last game in a competition where goal difference can make the difference um, is always played at the same time. We've seen this squad develop and grow in, in recent years. And in terms of self-belief and what the, the recent results have done for self-belief, I'd imagine that's clearly not a problem. No, we, we don't care who we play because we focus on how we play what we do. Um, and our tasks are clear in that. The players um, are given the space to act freely within those tasks. Um, and you can see that we grow every single game from that. And when the squad assembles, are there any specifics you're going to be working on uh, ahead of this playoff? Yeah, of course. Uh, before Thursday, we work more on, on our finding out who are the best players for our system because we need to find out a few things because of the injuries. Um, and then after Thursday, we fully focus on our opponent. Best of luck. Thank you. Okay, so that's Vera Pau discussing the squad and also the build-up to next Tuesday's very, very crucial and potentially historic second-round playoff for the World Cup. There has been another injury since uh, that interview on Friday. So Jesu, who was in action for West Ham at the weekend and has been in really good form in her recent Ireland appearances, she's been ruled out due to an injury and Shelburne defender Kiva Keenan replaces her. Of course, Shelburne were in league action at the weekend and in the Women's National League were getting a four-way title race pretty much after the weekend's results. So P-Mount are within three points at the top after beating Bohemians 1-0. Athlone Town beat the league leaders Wexford 2-1, so they're also three points off the top. Galway United lost 3-2 to DLR Waves and then the reigning champion Shelburne beat Cork City 2-1, so they're only a point off Wexford at the top. So three points separating the top four, so it's a really exciting title race. And moving on to Saturday's upcoming fixtures between the teams, none of the top four are playing each other, so they'll all be looking to maintain momentum. DLR Waves host Shelburne at four o'clock. Cork City and P-Mount play each other at five. Treaty United host at Lone, also at the same time. Bohemians host Galway at six. And then Wexford are at home to Sligo Rovers. Now we are joined by Gary and David, but before we get on to Mulder and Shamrock Rovers in the League of Ireland, I did want to kind of reflect back a bit on the um, Nations League campaign. And I suppose, Gary, um, what's your reflection on it now, like a week on and in the colder light of day? Yeah, look, ultimately, I suppose you'd be disappointed to to lose or to drop points in a couple of the games. There's, there's definitely highs and lows in it. Um, we, we we seem to be scoring goals, probably not keeping up with clean sheets. It's something that will have to be rectified when it comes to qualification campaigns. Um, but 
I suppose all in all, for Stephen, I suppose he's learned a lot more about his players and brought through a few new players in, in, into the group and given them valuable experience. And for the game, the game of the day, 3 2, like it, it was heading for disappointment that after being like, you know, in a comfortable position and, you know, for Robbie Brady to pop up at the end and get the penalty. But when you look at that game, I suppose for, for young fans and that, that were at the game, and all they see is a 3-2 victory. I know we're obviously a little bit harsher critics, but, um, you know, it's not really great opposition and it was almost a draw at home. But, you know, for people going to the ground, the games are more exciting to go to. Um, you know, there's five goals in it. It was entertainment value, I suppose, with what you're looking at. You know, when you have five goals in the game and, you know, a last minute winner, everyone is walking away happy. So I suppose, and, and that's, from that point of view, um, it, it's positive. But like when you're going into qualification campaign, um, you know that's that that that's when the real business is, and, and that's what Stephen will be judged on then. Yeah, and last week, Keith Tracy on this podcast, um, he was talking, he was on alongside Johnny McDonald. He was making the point that, um, he felt that Ireland, based on the Nations League campaign as a whole, are sort of sleepwalking, um, into the Euro 2024 qualifiers. Qualifiers. Do you concur with that, or are you more optimistic? Um, look, it's, it's hard to say they're sleepwalking in there, but like you know, it, it is difficult because like it's not really like it, it, you know they're glorified friendlies at the end of the day, and I know there is value to them in terms of ranking and it gives you better positions. But you know, we, we knew I suppose coming into the last couple of games that we possibly weren't going to improve our rankings and, and give ourselves a, a, an opportunity to top the group, obviously. But um, like I, it will come down to qualification, and I just think that um, you know that's where the real work begins. I think Stephen has had a good in, in the job now and they, you know has had brought in a lot of players and tried a lot of young players out and, and I think he has a fair grasp of what he wants to do and the style of football that he's tried to implement you know and there's definitely signs that there's massive improvement in Ireland are definitely more attractive to watch and, and you know the crowds that are going to the games um, are certainly happier with the with the brand of football that's being produced but now you know it, it comes to the, the results end of things and you know, that bedding period uh, is probably more extended than some people would have liked. But I think, you know, he's got to take your time and now it'll, it'll go into into the campaign and, and we'll be, he'll be judged on that then, you know. Yeah. And I was reading Paul Fennessy's review of the last eight games for Ireland. And, um, and this is in the 42 for anybody who does want to read it. But it was just interesting looking at the kind of statistics and trends, David, that maybe the darkest times have generally been where we've had the most possession. To be honest, I just don't understand how anybody could say Ireland have been sleepwalking through a campaign or that some kind of plan hasn't been materialising to how Ireland are trying to play. Ireland now seem to have settled on a system and a way of playing. Not, And I don't mean this in a way of playing. And Stephen Kenny spoke about this about in the early stages. He did feel as if, you know what, he maybe went too far the other way about passing for passing sake. And he spoke about that. And that there was a lack of penetration at times in Armenia, which like Paul Fennessy's piece on the 42, I thought was, was, was very interesting in terms of breaking down the kind of just the numbers of it, which is, and it's worth, it is worth a worth the read, but like Stephen Kenny came in for a bit of criticism after in the media aftermath after the Armenia game. And I think rightfully saw when he accepted it himself, a couple of days later, he did a Zoom call with a few of us and spent nearly 40 minutes talking to us. And he said, you know what? After the match, he was a bit too positive. He kind of, maybe you're in that mode after a game where you want to you know, back your players maybe to the hill to suppose no matter what. But he said his language was kind of, he used the right phrase. And he said it was an exceptional performance, a convincing performance. And obviously the nature of how the game went, that wasn't the case. 
but he also kind of pinpointed a lot of aspects I thought which which were which were true in terms of that new dimension that Michael Obafemi is given, but also the fact that Ireland didn't do enough to work spaces against Armenia and create more two v one opportunities where he was kind of saying they needed to do more, especially down down the left hand side. But like if you're looking at say the Nations League campaign, if Ireland were to continue how they have been, like then I don't think they will qualify for the Euros purely, even though obviously a tour place would still get you to play off and it depends on when, on when the draw was happening. But there is definitely signs that that's, this is where I'm coming from. Like, there's definitely signs that this is a team who now are on the cusp of actually being capable of doing a lot more and doing more. And now it's up to Stephen Kenny and the players who are there to actually deliver on that. Like there'd be moments like dropping five points from games when you've been leading against Scotland and Ukraine is an indication that Ireland can get into a position of control in a game, what's let them down is not being able to sustain that and maintain that. That's one thing in the Euros campaign that's going to have to obviously change. Like that's not, in my opinion, that's not a group of players sleepwalking into a campaign who haven't got a clue what they're doing and maybe aren't working towards something. So like you see it, you see it with a lot of the coverage, even even since like I think there's this there's this feeling from one aspect that it's like one camp is just cheerleading and another camp are being critical. Well, again, that's just not the case. It's just not the case. Like everyone now is at the point where they are being critical and actually analyzing well, where is this team going? Like I would say if Ireland were still making the same mistakes as that happened in that first campaign in the Nations League, and partly as well in during the World Cup qualifying campaign in the in this campaign, and it was a case of just sorry, in this Nations League campaign just gone, and it was a case that do you know what you weren't seeing any kind of progress. Well, then you'd be like, Well, hold on, there's there's something up here. But I get the sense just from from this campaign just gone that there is something this next Euros campaign is going to be vitally important because I don't think it's at a point where there is any more evolving really that needs to be done in terms of the players it's now a case of actually those players who are in there and in the system that they're working they seem to know what they're doing now it's actually a case of writing some of the wrongs that have happened in the Nations League campaign gone and Stephen Kenny said it it's about clean sheets now and adding that to the goals that have scored because only three teams in League B scored more goals in Ireland in the Nations League campaign and two of them were in Ireland's group so now it's about actually at the other end of that pitch and Kenny said it having that culture of clean sheets and marrying the two and that's now what's going to be the expectation yeah, uh, before we uh, before we move on to uh, Shamrock Rovers and Mould, uh, the one thing we never really touched on last week, and just as, as your expertise as a as a goalkeeper, Gary, I wanted to just get your take on Gavin Bazunu and particularly the second goal and whether he could have done a little bit better with it. Yeah, look, it's always it's always um, you know easy to be critical of the goalkeepers, um, and, and Gavin, every keeper would be disappointed when a goal goes in. Probably feel he could have done a little bit better for it, but look, that's. That's that's the nature of the beast. I think you know, for Gavin, you know, it's been good for him to get more games and grow. Like he's obviously he's thriving in terms of his career in the Premier League, and it's great for him to be getting you know such high quality games. The Premier League, he jumped from League One to to the Premier League now, and he's a regular for us. And he's gonna probably nail down that position, given off the back of you know the run that he's got in the game. Uh, sorry, in the national team, so. With Keevan being injured and Mark obviously being on the on the bench for uh, for Bournemouth, so I think you know it's a case for for Gavin to um, obviously settle into that role and, and become hopefully a mainstay for the qualification campaign. I think you know he he's been terrific um, goalkeeper for such a young man, such great composure, um, and we expect a whole lot of him out of him because he he started so well. So 
Um, I, I don't like to be too critical on him, but um, like he will be, he will be disappointed. Obviously, look, the keeper is always disappointed. Every goal goes in because any goal goes in, you're thinking, well, how could I say this? So he'll reflect on on every action that he makes in the game, and you go through the go through the footage, and and you're all the time learning as a goalkeeper. You know, for every every everything that happens in a game, every goal that goes in, every cross, uh, you know, you, you're all the time learning from from these things. Uh, and you 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 know, the more games you get, the more experience. He's just going to get better and better. And we we're so lucky to have not just Gavin but but Mark and um, and Kevin behind them in the top class goalkeeping department. Uh, and then you've got young goalkeepers coming through in the 21s and the 19s. And I think one thing that you know David was talking about there. In terms of you know the the progression of the squad, and you look at all the players that have come through that Stephen has brought into the group, and you look at the 21s how well they've done. I know they didn't qualify, but you know, and the 19s um, were away and qualified, you know, into the elite stage. So there's really exciting times um, for Stephen and for Irish football in general between the underage teams doing really well. Like I know that the 17s were away in the Netherlands had a good result over there. 19s obviously qualified. 21s were. were with a penalty shoot out of qualifying for a major championship. So there's, there's massive uh, positivity around um, you know, the future of Irish football. Yeah, and the uh, Euro 2024 qualifying draw is going to be this Sunday in Frankfurt, so we'll see what Ireland get in that, their pot three team for that. Now, Shamrock Rovers obviously have had the experience of being uh, in a pot. They were also a pot three team in the Europa Conference League, and they started the group campaign with a nil-nil draw against Uruguay at home and then a 3-0 defeat at Ghent. And then it's Molde um, up next. But Gary, I know you have a bit of history with them, both with Sligo Rovers and Dundalk. Yeah, I've uh, been on the end of a couple of um, four results against Molde. Look, they're a very good side. It's a um, terrific stadium over there. Um, they've, they've changed their... The first time I played over there was a grass pitch. Um, and the, the last time I played over there, it was an Astro. But like the Astro, I know we, we look... We look at Astros over here and we talk about how poor they are or whatever else, but the one over there, completely different than what you play on here. Um, obviously proper sprinkler system in it and the pellets on the on the on the pitch are around the ball actually moves a lot quicker, a lot sharper. They, they, it's watered properly and all the rest, but it, it really, really good side. Um, you know, we were beaten four two over there the last day, but you know, there's a couple of terrific players and and technically very good. I actually thought, like when this um the group came out, I thought they'd be the best best side in the group, and um it'll be it'll be a tough tough task for Shamrock Rovers to go over to Molde and get a result, but um you know it's it, it's an exciting challenge for them. Yeah, um, they've started the well in the league. They've won their last eleven um games in a row, beat Tromso one nil at the weekend. But it's in the conference league itself, a nil nil draw with Ghent, and then a three two defeat to Urgoran. Um, but um, from Shamrock Rovers' point of view, from those first two games that they played, um, David, there's a little bit of a sense of optimism. I mean, yes, Ghent were much the better team, but they they still created some good chances. Yeah, and but it's I suppose it's one of them where. Like I think when I saw, I think it was Dan Cleary in terms of that, in that game with just that slip and just those moments. And it kind of, listen, you can kind of say the same. I know we said it earlier about Ireland, where maybe just this little moment in games where that can be that can be crucial. And I think that's maybe what's kind of hampered Rovers a little bit, just key moments in games and like just giving up season up the the initiative a little bit. Like the fact that you've mentioned it there, but the fact that domestically you say more that are obviously flying it and maybe in, in, in Europe and the expectations have been on them a bit more hasn't been quite there. So you have to wonder, well, how do Rovers assess this game? How do they kind of go at it? Like, do they do they try and go in and maybe be a bit patient and maybe give it give them a bit more respect and kind of ease your way into a game and try and 
not maybe make any silly mistakes or do you try and maybe take the game to them early and put them under a bit of pressure? Like you would imagine, even though maybe things haven't gone great for them either, so maybe in Europe that, when you think about that, you've said it there like 11 games in a row, you can't imagine that their confidence is going to be fragile. So like it is about being clever and how you, how you go into the game and, I think maybe little, just even little things coming out. Like, I know maybe it's too simplistic to say it, but I don't think there's any doubt that just that win and the manner of the win away to Sligo at the weekend maybe eases a bit of that pressure in the league. Does that just kind of give a bit of a weight off to their shoulders when they when they go into this game? And like Gary would be better placed in terms of that. I think I think I think it should do. Like I don't think like, you should, go, should be going into it maybe. Obviously, having that bit more, that bit more confidence, which Dan clearly, especially where you like to think that he won't be thinking about what what he did in Europe the last the last time out. Um, but they're just like and I've said it even going into this campaign, like with, with Rovers and even with, with with Stephen Bradley, like there was more, it was more of an expectation. Like I I did a did a piece with with Ron, well, and a few Rovers players from ten years ago when they qualified in twenty eleven, and Ron, spoke to Ronan Finn about it, and the Ronan Finn was talking about how well that just was amazing because no one expected them. Whereas now, the games that they've played in Europe, this player, these group of players for Rovers, like not that it hasn't been that sense of enjoyment or maybe or whatever, but for him and he's felt that you know what, there's a sense more of a sense of expectation. So like the Rovers players going in, even though yeah they didn't get the win at home to Jew Gardens, and then obviously had a disappointing result away in in Belgium as well. Like they'll be going there, and similar to what I'm saying, but even with Nations League, you're going there because in a Conference League with with teams who maybe are obviously on your level a little bit. It's not as if maybe you're in a group and it's three teams who are maybe superpowers. Like this Rovers team, they're an experienced side, and when you listen to when we listen to Ronan Finn, you get that sense that yeah, there's been mistakes have have kind of hampered them in the in the pre well, especially in the previous game. But it's not something I don't think is going to linger with them. I think this group of Rovers players have that kind of maybe mentality of actually putting that behind them and trusting in what, in what Stephen Bradley is doing. And I suppose for him as well, it's going to be a big test because to deliver in Europe as well would be a, a big thing for his own CV. Yeah, and their system in the in recent times under their manager, Erling Moe, who is not the most famous Erling in the world uh, <laughs> currently, probably for good reason. Not not this week and probably not for the last few years and not into the future. Um, so they've been playing 5-3-2 in the last while and their top scorer, Datro Fofana, scored a penalty against Jurgorn. He was sent off in that game, so he's not going to be available. But their captain is very experienced, Magnus Wolf Ekrem. He would have been managed by uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, both with the Man United reserves and then Mould as well. I think Solskjaer would have been manager when you were playing them with Sligo, I think, uh, yeah. back, back in the day. Um, back in 2013 and uh, he's been there since 2018 and won the league with them in 2019 so they have a sense of stability and probably know what they're about obviously with a manager there that long but so do Shamrock Rovers with Stephen Bradley they have their system set in stone so how do you expect them to set up especially with the lessons from the Ghent game? Yeah look it, it has to be more I suppose difficult to beat um, first and foremost you've got to go over there and stay in the game I just felt they were just a little bit too easy to get at the, the, the gaps I say the lines between the midfield and the back three and the full backs were a little bit too high in them games you've got you've got to you, you've got to tighten that up and Ekram Wolf Ekram is, is a serious technician what a player he is um, and you know they've got to be very disciplined when they do play because He's got tremendous delivery as well and can cause serious problems with that. We look at obviously Jack's got great delivery and there's like Dylan Watts is a good deliverer, but this this guy is, is, is fantastic and he caused, I mean, when we played again, he caused us all sorts of problems from set plays. I think they could have had 13 or 14 corners and 
they looked really dangerous. Now, our setup at the time didn't have, we were all over the place in terms of his own defence, didn't like it at all. But anyway, um, that's why they're here today. But I think Shamrock Rovers have to be, you know, a little bit more solid in the defence and the, and the, I suppose the wing backs need to be tucked in a little bit narrower and make it just that block with the two, maybe two midfielders sitting in front of the, the three and the, the full backs, uh, the wing backs in a bit narrow and make, just make it a little bit more difficult to beat. And look, I didn't like that. Um, I suppose the ball that, that, uh, that Alamann has played out to Dan Cleary, I don't see the value in playing that ball five yards either side from the goalkeeper. Um, I think they should be much further higher up uh, and, and a little bit more variation, especially at that stage in the game. You know, you don't want to cock anything up easy in the first 20 minutes of the game. You've got to work your way into the game, keep it really, really tight. And, you know, I think Shamrock Rovers are capable of doing that. And I think Stephen is a very good tactical manager. I think they will learn from, um, you know, the errors. And, and the one thing I would say in European football, any slight little error, you're going to be punished because that's the difference when you go up the levels. And it's the same for Shamrock Rovers. They will get chances. And if they can take their chances in the game, well, that that kind of puts a whole different pressure and mold of them. So, like, it's about, it's about being... It's a bit like you know, it's boring, as boring as it may seem. It's about being solid at the back, and mm. and then when you work your opportunities, you know, it's being brave on the ball, having the courage to play. And I think the likes of Jack Bourne has been getting more game time. And when you see him, and um, you know, getting that game time, I think he'll be better for it. And they really need the guy who will always remember the best, say, Dundalk team or the best even Sligo team when Joseph and Doe played for Sligo. He was terrific in Europe because he had that courage to get on the ball. You know, in, in when it came to European football, you need your better. Uh, technical players to come and get that ball and take it in areas that you know to be brave on it and, and just to keep it because you get your breather with the ball um, and like I think Sean McRovers with Jack obviously playing like he played really well the weekend um, against Ligo uh, it was terrific in the build up for for, uh, for Dylan Watts' goal so it's um, you know players like that um, are going to be massively important but yeah. the, the defensive shape is going to be key too yeah, and obviously you mentioned Joey Undo there, who's also a noted co-commentator now as well, based on some of the clips I'm hearing. Uh, very good at that. Um, but uh, also, um, just going back to what David said there about uh, Shamrock Rovers winning 3-1 at Sligo Rovers, and I guess how freeing that is. And you've had that experience, Gary, of trying to marry European form with uh, trying to you know maintain a league challenge, and most more, more often than not, successfully. So... It must be, um, from your own experience, does it sort of clear the mind a little bit going into those European games, especially when you've come off the back of a crucial win, when you know, say, Derry City in this instance are hot on your heels, but you you just keep um, leaving that little bit of a gap and breathing room for yourself? Yeah, look, I think, you know, Shamrock Rovers are in pole position. They'll be really happy where they are. They're five points ahead. You know, there's five games left, left in the league. And it's difficult for the players because you've got massive games in Europe and then you're bouncing into a game on a Sunday, which is vitally important because, you know, you don't get to play in group stages unless you win the league. And the best route to do that is obviously by winning the league and, and you know, going the champions route through the qualification campaign. Now, both, you look at the run in the both teams, like Rovers of Shells, uh, Drogheda, Pat, Derry and UCD. They obviously fancy to beat UCD in the last game of the season, but the two Dublin derbies in there and they also have to play Derry. So they just need to keep you know, taking over them results. That was a really important result for them away in Sligo. Sligo is one of them places where you can go and you can get turned over. But it wasn't the beach. Shamrock Rovers were ruthless, turned up, played really well, dominated the game. You know, got the goals, the three-goal lead, obviously conceded a goal late on in the game. But, you know, that's the sort of ruthless performance that you would expect from them. And um, it, it becomes a little bit more difficult, you know, when it gets to the, 
you know, the crucial games that get you over the line. Um, but I, I do expect the Shamrock Rovers to have enough, you know, to, to see out the, the campaign and retain their titles. But, you know, you, you know, it is it's a huge challenge when you you bounce into massive games. One thing I would have always noticed when they're European games, when you go and you play against top quality opposition, the likes of Molden, um, and that, you know, when you come back out of it, um, there's generally a bounce and you come back. I remember playing Rosenborg in two games and we come back, we obviously got beaten in the tie, but our league form afterwards, we went on a terrific run because we were being used to playing at a higher standard and, you know, doing things a little bit quicker. So you, sometimes you can get that bounce out of Europe where, you know, you're, you're having to perform everything, do everything that little bit quicker and, you know, going into your league game. So it, it can it can work both ways. Like some people say, oh, you'd be tired coming into the game. And they were a little bit lethargic in, in the Derry game in the cup and it cost them the cup. But I think, you know, given what's at stake in, in terms of, you know, qualifying um, for the champions path and winning the title, I think, you know, they, they might actually get a little bit of bounce out of playing, you know, uh, higher opposition. Yeah, and it was Daniel Cleary, uh, Dylan Watts and Graham Burke with the three Shamrock Rovers goals before Pineacker got uh, the 75th minute consolation for Sligo. But uh, uh, David, just on the, the second goal, if you call it uh, the Dylan Watts one, obviously Dylan Watts himself is involved in the build-up, but just looking at the clip of... Uh, the little bit of magic from Jack Byrne and then the pass he slipped through just uh, you know he's starting to show kind of signs of kind of getting back to his best now no it was it was a great pass great bit great bit of vision and as you say as well the, the little turn as well just to, yeah. to get away from it and, but also the run makes it as well like there's no pass there without without the run and obviously you need both but it's just been a very frustrating been a very frustrating time for for Jack Louis. Like I met him at the very start of the season just um, for an interview obviously looking ahead to the year and he was very excited coming back obviously Cyprus and he had his injury issues out there as well and it was just a case of obviously he had other, other options he actually could have signed for Sligo I remember when Liam Buckley was the manager Liam Buckley got in touch with him and was saying listen and he spoke to him about it just out of, out of respect for out of respect for Liam Buckley and I don't think it came close but he could have easily actually if maybe if uh, if Liam maybe had been been able to convince him, he could have actually been playing for a for a bit of red. But um, it was just just been a very it's just been a very kind of stop start time for him this season. Between one thing or another, he kind of even before the season, I remember being at a game out at UCD and he went off after about 35, 40 minutes, more so out of precaution because I think they were maybe three nil up at the time or two nil up, and I think it was his calf or a toy injury, and that kind of just seemed to be the start. I think that was obviously maybe around early June and it's just been a horrible time for him it's not been the season he's wanted at all coming back but obviously he's persevered Rovers he's beginning now to kind of get that run of games and, and get that sharpness and listen maybe it could be ideal time and like all it's one of them where we've it's been said about Rovers from the very start like the, the depth of squad has been especially domestically is, is there to see and like maybe it's been a frustrating time for him but this could be it like this is the most it was a Ferguson said squeaky bone time, isn't it? Like this is where t- matters are, are going to be decided. You know, this is where a player like Jack Bourne, again, being able to pick that pass even domestically in the league is going to be crucial. And if he's able to, if he's able to kind of find the the kind of form and the ability that we know he has and, and produce those moments even in Europe, it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be major. I don't think it's really happened yet for him, especially in Europe. And like Gary mentioned earlier, just on that point is like about obviously keeping a tie in those European games, but also when chances do come, like you need players like Jack's quality to actually be the one to make sure that 
that when the opponents slip up that that it's punished. Like there was a moment in the, the Ghent game, and I don't think it came from a chance, and there was a mistake where their goalkeeper played it out again, similar in, in Rory Gaffney could have had opportunity. I think that was a 2-0. And he kind of misses the chance, you know, and the, those little moments maybe now where you have like someone like Jack Bourne and he's flying it, like, which still don't think he's anywhere near maybe the, the top level he can be where he's, he was getting in around the Ireland squad, you know, like a, that's a conversation that, hasn't been around and it'll be another while before it's there again. So like if he's able to make an impact, a serious impact in the, in the European games, then, then that'll obviously be something that will be will be spoken about. But I think at the moment for him, it's just about getting getting back in and playing regularly and just having that, again, Gary will know it as a, as, a, as a former player, just having that trust in your body again and feeling in that rhythm because I definitely think he's that type of player who needs to be just constantly constantly at it you know and getting that getting get, getting that match sharpness and just that speed of talk because that's what he relies on as much as anything yeah I think the Ireland stuff because uh, we had him on the on this podcast myself and Conor Neville were speaking to him last mm. December and you know we touched on the Ireland thing but he kind of said it himself like he he needs that run-in of a season first before he can even start thinking about oh, that yeah. and um, at the start of the season it looked like potentially he was uh, he was on the cusp of it but as you said with the uh, with that injury he had against UCD then it sort of he hasn't yeah, it's, it's, it's been stopped start since yeah, and like just sorry for cutting across, Raf, but even just on that, I kind of feel because of how the season has gone and and all the rest of it, it's something that I know it was mentioned. You can't not mention the, the Ireland stuff because obviously he had been previously in and around it, but like it's just one of them where like I mean you just want to see him now playing and and having that kind of having that just fitness really because like he does offer so much, and for for him to be in the league, it's just. It's like well, if you, any anyone except Roberts player, anyone except for Roberts fans will, will be will be delighted because as you're saying, like he could be a bit of a, a key difference now in the next couple of games. Even though they have got that bit of a healthy lead, just having that caliber of player, it's just going to be so vitally important, especially in Europe. And that's why if you can stay fit and have that sharpness, you would like to think that Roberts could be could be capable of at least picking up a few points and and giving themselves a serious account of themselves in those games. You know. Yeah, and on Friday the games it was Bohemians beating UCD one 0 so that has uh, an impact at the bottom end of the table. Of course, UCD and due to Finn Harps's results, which we'll bring you very shortly, um, UCD are now bottom on goal difference and Bowes up to fifth. Um, despite some of the recent inconsistencies, so that's a, um, that's obviously a little bit of optimism for them. And then Dundalk getting back to form and ending a run of games without victory by beating Drogheda United two 0 with Runer Hauga scoring a penalty and then a Dane Massey own goal and then probably the big one in terms of the the top end Derry City beating St. Pat's 1-0 with Kavanagh scoring the winner with 20 minutes to go and then a couple of sending offs including Chris Forrester in uh, in stoppage time and then Finn Harps won Shelburne won so Finn Harps second from bottom now on goal difference might start on Derry and Pat's actually um, Gary just given where it is in the table but uh, in terms of Derry, I, like and I know you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier in terms of how you mix the European games with, um, you know, a league campaign. But from a Derry point of view, that thing of being the hunter or the hunted, which one did you find was uh, most conducive to, I suppose, on the mentality side? Yeah, I look, I suppose you, you've got to, you, you have to change it up depending on what the scenario you're in. But like, it's always nice to have that lead. Like for Derry, you know, it's a massive test. I think they've got to win every game. And that's including Sean McRover. So they've, they've, they've harped the weekend, Shell, Sligo, Sean McRover and Dundalk. They don't really have any easy games. And they've been just, you know, to go to Pats and win 1-0 was, was excellent. Um, and they've just been kind of, 
like they've had a, a poor run in the middle of the season, which you know has probably curbed their kind of uh, title run, if you like, a little bit. And they'll reflect on that, and they'll think that's one area where they'll they'll need to improve if they're going to be um, title challengers for next season. And like I know it's, it's not done and dusted. It's great to have kind of a, a run in with five games, and it's definitely not decided. Um, although Shamrock Rovers would would be massive favourites, but if if they can. Like I said, Derry can't slip up, and if they win all their games, um, you know, obviously Shamrock Rovers could win four if they win it. But like, you know, the the challenge for Shamrock Rovers will be, you know, to to beat uh, Shells, Drott, and Pat, and and then come into the Derry game, you know, it'll be a tight decider for them. So, um, and the thing about Rovers is this year they, they've struggled against Drott, so they don't they've two Dublin derbies and and Drott, which hasn't been it hasn't been a given for them. Um, like they they beat them in the cup in extra time and. It's just like it's been a sticky one for him, but uh, I I still think um it, it's a great challenge for the Derry players, and a lot of them will be kind of I know they have got experienced players like Mickey Mickey Duffy and Patrick McElhenney and Cameron Dunmigan and these guys that have had title runs that won titles and cups before, and um, but for some of the younger players coming through to you know to 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 do the business when it's when it's on the line for them, it'll be it'll be a great experience for them if they can go and win the five games. That'll that'll give them massive confidence. It, it won't guarantee them the title, unfortunately for them. But you know, it it gives them something to kind of rebuild on for next season. But it's it's great to have have um, <clears throat> a run into the season where it's certainly in the balance. And like we'd be hoping that that both teams, you know, come to that second last game of the season that there's something there to, you know, a really juicy encounter mm. for for uh, for a league title. Yeah, and they have a cup semi-final, of course, with Treaty United later this month as well. And then potentially, if they can get through that, obviously uh, another a, a big showdown in the final against whether it's Shelburne or Watford on the other end. So they'll have, uh, like Shamrock Rovers, they actually do have another folks as well. But um, David, in terms of Pats, I mean, they were on a great run, five wins in a row previous to uh, losing to Derry City. Uh, but luckily for them, in a way, they have an immediate fixture tonight to, to try and bounce back. No, yeah, I suppose that. Well, what's that cliche, isn't it? Where it's like just move on to the next. We, we go again. That's kind of coming into football lexicon. We we go again. I was half expecting like a, a string of tweets from Pat's players just to say, you know, hashtag fans were class, and we go again on uh, on Monday. But sarcasm, David. I know. I know. <laughs> well, do you know what? Right, it's not just on, on to do with on to do with Pat's, but that's just a general pet peeve I have now. Like I know, obviously, social media. And listen, I hold my hands up. Obviously, I'm a. I'm a disgusting self-publicist on, on social media with Twitter, but I, I do it as part of the job, but I just don't understand why players bother. Like I don't like I don't think do fans care if they if a player comes out and says, Oh, you know, fans were great. Like, you know what I mean? Like I think Pat's players might, might get away with it. I remember actually sorry on that point, sorry, this is a total divergence, but I remember again it was similar to this time last year before the FA Cup final and Chris Forrester, although in fairness, no, he uh, let himself down by getting sent off in the manner he did. Um, especially being one of the experienced players, but talking about young lads who kind of he felt as if some young lads only play football now just because they can post stuff up on Instagram and, and all the rest of it, you know what I mean? Which that kind of I said it to him at the time, that kind of says shows where he is in terms of his own age profile when he's giving out about lads, but uh, younger lads. But sorry, a total divergence there. Um, ah, but like I think Pat's players can get away because Pat's done very well the last little while, and the point has been made even on the like what Gary said, maybe about Europe and. Like Pat's kind of seemed to go on and use the European stuff as a, as a way of a bit of a springboard to actually put themselves in this position. Because I'll be honest, going into the European games, they were kind of, to use maybe Keith Tracy's phrase, they were kind of be sleepwalking a little bit. But I, 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 no, I think, um, fairness, they, obviously, Pat's would have been, maybe gold is probably the wrong word, but 
coming out on the wrong side, but it was a dirty year going for are going for the league. Let's be honest, and like they have, I do think they have that little extra bit of quality, but um, but I just think what like and the point Gary made earlier kind of just it actually kind of resonated there when I was thinking. I think Pats have used the European run as a bit of a springboard, and they were unfortunate as well a little bit in terms of how it did end. I think they came very they came very close as well to maybe going a bit further. Um, they've done really well and the way the season the way their season hasn't petered out and yeah like if you go back to even talking in, in the cup which obviously was in between the European games when they got knocked out by by Waterford you're kind of thinking then like that 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 could have been a bit of a dangerous moment which I kind of thinking about what what's going to happen here now do you know what I mean um but now in fairness Tim Clancy John Daly and the staff there and even the group of players have been have have quite on a real kind of really impressive run of form and you kind of you kind of would not that you would expect them but you kind of don't worry you're not you're not kind of thinking oh that could be the result that now that everything seems fragile sometimes maybe then we have one result and it could be very fragile to the confidence and you might go on a run where it's maybe three four without win or getting back but you kind of get the sense that with this Pats team that they maybe have that bit more of a backbone about them and can actually bounce back and maybe shells although obviously like they've maybe got other things on their mind now with the with the cup and being safe in the league will they drop off can't imagine duff will will allow them to um but you kind of get the sense that it's not going to be the kind of a collapse for pats and now i say that probably tempting fate but that's just the kind of i would say a testament to the work that that tim clancy has done just in terms of think about when he would have came in after obviously you know leaving at the start of the season and the, the overhaul of players and like a big, big thing for Pats would have been keeping Adam O'Reilly when he could maybe was talk he might have been leaving during a transfer window. So um, I think it'd be a test for them tonight against against Shells. But if they can they bounce back and get a result, I think they'll just have enough to keep the edge and stay away from stay clear of balls. And like what Gary said earlier about Derry having to win all the games, I think balls have to do the same. And I just don't think balls have the quality at all to be able to put a serious run together towards the end of the season. Yeah, I was talking to Forrester a couple <laughs> of weeks ago just at the the, the EA Sports thing in uh, at the Aviva Stadium. He's also making that point that, yeah, as you said, the European games, they have felt galvanised by that. And then you throw in the change of system as well with the, the tree at the back seems to have worked for them. That's why I said it, Raph, because I remember I read that. That's why I said it. That's why it was in my head. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I, should, I should have caught with you properly. <laughs> Uh, fair enough. I, I'm not too hurt by that. But uh, <laughs> Dundalk, obviously, look, um, the timing for them at the weekend, Gary, was sort of was sort of perfect because they had been on a poor run, and then if you throw in the uh, the cup quarter final defeat on top of it, and just as things were looking a little bit worrying, they have cemented third place a little bit. Obviously, Pat still have the game in hand tonight, but um, especially against the Drada United team that uh, in Drada have caused them problems this season. Yeah, and I think you know, if you look at it, John had a couple of chances early in the game, really like from nearly from the tip off, Dean Williams had a couple of really good chances. So it wasn't kind of playing say you look at 2-0 and you think, oh, job done for Dundalk, but it, it probably wasn't as easy a game as that scoreline suggests. So look, Dundalk have, have probably struggled, you know, they, they, they game up in UCD where you know they 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 lost as well. It's been, you know, after getting the, the points um, awarded them as well, it, it's been kind of they're stumbling towards that third third spot, if you like, at the minute. And that, you know, game against Drogheda will give them that little bit of injection that they needed because, you know, certainly, you know, a draw or defeat there would have really hurt them. I think Pat, you know, have a lot of momentum behind them. You know, they got beat by Derry, but, you know, 1-0, a competitive game. And, you know, Derry just edged them out. Um, but, yeah, for for, um, for Dundalk, I think the loss of Pat Hoban has been massive. Um, you know, he, he's been key, you know, to them that that, that 
that goal threat for the work rate. He, he dictates the the press, if you like, from the front. Uh, I think he, he's been he's been a massive loss, um, along with Connolly as well, who, who went mid-season to Derry. Like he he'd been excellent, and you know he's been very good for for Derry since he's gone in there. So they're two key players that I miss. You look at the pace of Daniel Kelly; he's been injured. He's injured for the remainder of the season. So I think you know for Stevie O'Donnell to get across the line, and get Europe, it'll be. And he'd be able to reflect on the job well done because it has been challenging because the squad isn't, you know, you remember the, like the squads that I would have been involved with. You would have said the massive big squads and you could have played any any 11 nearly at, at one point. But um, he's not blessed with that that size of squad now. So it's it's been a real, really good managerial job in terms of what he's done, you know, to to uh, possibly get, get European football, which would have been, you know, the, the, the goal at the start of the season. Yeah, and then at the bottom end, Finn Harps now, as I said, are uh, second from bottom on goal difference, so minus 30 for them and UCD minus 38. And David, I know obviously I think a few months ago we were talking about uh, your piece when you you went up to Finn Harps and it had been yeah. fairly clear. It had been fairly clear, I think, in, uh, that Ollie Horgan had said at the start of the season that he knew this would be his toughest season and it's kind of proving that way. But the only, the, the kind of, I suppose, the optimism for them even in regards to UCD, haven't been in reasonably good form recently, but Finn Harps have that home game coming against UCD later in the season, which is probably going to be decisive given that they're so nip and tuck, and I would imagine neither side's going to pull away from the other uh, before the last couple of games. No, that's it. It's like second last game of the season, yeah. isn't it, as well? So, like, and, and as you say, like it's not one of them where one of them, one of the teams is maybe a few points ahead and you might, you could go into where you've got a serious points gap and, as the season has gone on, as they could show, neither, neither team has, has been capable of doing it. Although, fairness, Harps, Brendan Clark, talk about goalkeepers, and like, I think Gary might want to jump in, just wax, well, wax lyrical about Brendan Clark's save and any opportunity to, to price another goalkeeper. But um, it was like Harps again, they, they had the chance, they could have stolen that, not stolen the game, but could have got that game or won that game. It was a, it was a fantastic save from the uh, Heather Lupin save from, from Brendan Clark. But it's, yeah, like a kind of, I'll be honest, as the season's gone on, you kind of wonder, like, well, well, Ollie Horgan and the work he's done there, and obviously he is now, isn't he? He's the longest serving manager in yeah. the league. Like, you wonder what toll it kind of takes. And like, as much as Anton, as much as Anton, where I kind of got the sense from, from that article I did with the two with, with Bastian Healy and, and Dave Webster, obviously Bastian, who has now left the club, had left the club, and obviously Dave kind of uh, had that bad injury. So I think they both kind of maybe regret me putting the. Uh, being a bad influence, maybe actually doing that harder because I don't think I don't think it's on either in the world ago. But uh, like you wonder, like as as much as it takes a toll for players, like you wonder after all this time, like the slog of it for for Ali Harvin, like will he, what if he can survive? If he can keep them up this year, what what will he do? Or if they go down, will he have it in him? I don't I don't mean that to say oh, I'm writing them off, but it's just, it must take like to be constantly having those balls. We talked about Keith Long at balls where, and obviously he. Was obviously able to do at the top end, obviously with the budget and, and all the rest of that he would have been able to get, and then obviously earn as well by qualifying for Europe. But when you're constantly maybe rebuilding and you have to not so much wheel and deal, but you have to keep on going to the well a little bit, and it's hard to kind of continually work with a set settled group of players. It must be difficult for for any manager, and at this point. Like, I think the easiest thing in the world to say is, oh, you know, you, you trust Harrison to, to stay over and get be in the, the playoff position just because they've been there so many times. But sure, it's been hard. It's been Ollie who's the one who's been there all the time. Like, the players have changed so often. They obviously maybe have got maybe a bit of a core, a couple of group, like Ryan Colony or whoever. And maybe you've been in there before. But it's, I don't know. It's just, you, you just don't know. I don't, I don't think maybe some of the past experiences the Harps have had 
will maybe stand to them as much in terms of that in a cup. Maybe that the fact just because there has been that turnover in players, you know. But that yeah, as you say, like that last. I think I wonder now actually this two second I think is Shell. I'll talk about Shell. Sorry, Rovers and Derry. Is that the second last game as well for both for both teams? I'm not too sure if it is. I think it's near enough, near, yeah. near the end. U- UCD play Rovers last year. Yeah, yeah. UCD play Rovers last, but <clears throat> the second last game of the season for Rovers, I think, could be dirty. I think. I'm not. But that could be some day in terms of... you could Yeah, have a, yeah, it is dirty, yeah. Yeah, so like same day in terms of having those two games on, like that could be an awful lot of side at both ends of the table. But I think what you said, Raph, is spot on. The fact that I think it'll be more so deciding that that game would possibly decide it purely because... I just can't see either being capable of pulling away from each other until that point. Maybe that one will be the one and maybe can carry at home that could maybe swing it. Yeah, and what they're trying to do, obviously, um, is to avoid the drop into the first division. And the results there were Waterford 3, Cove Ramblers 1, Treaty United 1, Galway United 1. And we're going to talk about Galway very shortly because they've had a little drop off in form. And then Athlone Town 2, Longford Town 2. So that's the Midlands Derby and Athlone showing signs of a revival. Um, Currently second bottom now. And then Wexford beating Bray Wanderers 4-2. So what that does to the table without Cork City kicking a ball, they're now essentially uh, one win away from uh, automatic promotion. And then Galway now just three points ahead of Waterford. Um, now, again, they're all going to be li- likely to be in the playoffs anyway, so it's fairly academic at this point. But uh, in terms of Galway, um, Gary, and their and their form, because up to the summer they were, you know, midsummer they were sort of nip and tuck with, with uh, Cork City, and then they've just found themselves, you know, unable to kind of pick up results consistently. And what do you put that down to? Yeah, look, it's probably been a, like obviously they've lost Alex Murphy to Newcastle, which would have been a, a blow for them. Um, they just lacked that little bit of consistency. I think it was neck and neck, and, and they were both you know, Cork and uh, and Galway were going head to head, and they were winning every week. But then you you look at teams as well, like the Waterford have started to get a bit stronger. Wexford have been strong. Longford Treaty beating UCD in the cup as well. So like you know, there's no give yeah gimmies, and you look at at the weekend even Galway. Got a very dubious penalty, you know, to 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 get a draw match against Treaty this week. So look, it's hard to kind of probably maintain that. And I think once it was getting away from them a little bit, I think you know Cork have looked winners nearly for the last five or six weeks, really, uh, if, if you're being honest about it. And you know they've probably seen it at the weekend. So I think you know they're they're kind of doomed to play off if you like. And I suppose given Galway's form in the playoff last year, where where Bray beat them in the in in the playoffs, you know they'll probably be a little bit apprehensive about it because. You know, Waterford um, look a really good side. I think, you know, you look at the players and the squad that they have, they probably have the most talented squad in the first division, if you like. Um, and Phoenix Patterson looks a real a real quality player. So I think the playoffs are going to be hugely challenging for, for, for Galway. Um, not to say that they won't get up, obviously, the full-time team. They've had tremendous support down there this year. So I think, you know, whether it's Waterford or Galway, um, if they were to get up, they'd be a welcome addition um, to the Premier Division. I know Longford are in, in the mix as well. And Gary Crone has done a really good job there um, to get them. Um, they play a really good brand of football. And, you know, he, he's reached the playoffs with Bray last year. And and once again, it looks like um, there'll be playoffs with, with Longford this year. So it's, um, you know, it, it's definitely in the balance. But you'd worry a little bit because Galway got beaten by UCD in the Cup. Um, which, which is a kind of, uh, you know, you would have kind of half anti goal with it to beat UCD. Um, but like even that, another you know, kind of a little bit of a, a mental blow, if you like, going into 
in, into these playoffs. And look, they've just dropped off. And like, there's no doubt, like Walshie, who who was a left back, centre back, scored so many goals um, for them this season up, up, up front. So they've really found uh, a serious goal threat. And there is goals in the team, but you know, playoffs are um, they, you know they're, they're on a knife edge. Um, it's how players handle them on the day because it's not like your league campaign where. You know, you turn out every week. You know, it's very much you know in the moment, and um, you know they need players to turn up on the day and do the business. Yeah, and Waterford, um, David, have a lot of momentum, obviously, and as you kind of as uh, as Gary just said there, obviously the once you get to playoffs, obviously you've that knockout element. Their their cup experiences are also going to give them a little bit of an edge with that, I guess, as well. Yeah, you would imagine so. Like it's like it's like Anton where just carrying trying to carry momentum of performances and just having that belief and you would imagine if you look at it like Waterford you would you would think have that they've obviously recently had that change change of manager think Sarah coming in and obviously Gary's mentioned there things Patterson they just, maybe just have lads who could be just hit, hitting the vein of form but then maybe the playoffs can do mad things you know what I mean like like heroes can come out of nowhere remember only was it was a few years ago remember um was it JJ Banda came out of nowhere for Finn Harps he was still in school and he kind of did the business for them but like it's just it'd be it's just I kind of find it interesting even with the whole Galway thing because like obviously you listen to John Caulfield there was only a couple of weeks ago where when he was kind of conceding the title to Cork and obviously it's taken Cork because at that point where we got 10, 11 points clear and he was kind of mentioning the fact that obviously the change of ownership with with Galway and that was going to effectively be coming in at the end of this season with the Comer brothers coming in so you would imagine there's going to be like like with the money they have and the the finance in there and obviously their relationship with with the club, you think there's going to be serious back in there and maybe it's I don't know if it's kind of looking at it from the point of view of if you you told people it would be great even it was mentioned at the start of the season with the with the Premier Division just the kind of the concentration of clubs that were in around in around Dublin and the fact that there wasn't that more more of a spread so ideally if you have the likes of say Cork coming up and Obviously, if if Harps, if, if UCD were to go down, or if Harps stay up, or if there's another one coming up, Galway Waterford, it just possibly not for you. You kind of just have that spread, and it, it can be no bad thing. And you feel, kind of feel as if maybe could Galway be on the cusp of something with those new owners coming in and with the backing they have. But then you also get that sense as well with Waterford. Like I said on here, that their name was on the cup just because of all the madness that that's gone on there. But but on the serious point, you also kind of see you kind of get that sense when you see the crowds that are at water for when things can be going well and when you can you have that sense of maybe a bit of a more of a purpose about them that just the kind of actual I don't know not that it's it's everyone talks about Waterford in town and, and the city about kind of with football and the actual kind of how do you feel on the cusp or something you know what I mean just like and but they need that's what and again, like I you know, I felt I felt bad afterwards actually just joking about it because like there's people at Waterford who give their life and soul for the club, you know, and they want to see them be able to progress and have people there who are who are properly serious and and want to be able to to take it forward. And that's why that's kind of adds another little element here, I think, to to what could happen maybe in the in the playoffs, maybe if it is with Waterford and Galway, because one of those clubs, not that it will shape what's going to happen for them for the next little while but it can give them that catalyst to go on and really and, and kick on for for next season if they were to get up into the Premier Division Yeah and then speaking of sort of 
you know, picking up uh, form, obviously, as I said, at loan have been in reasonably good form recently. Obviously, they were bottom for quite a while, but now uh, moved above Cove Ramblers in the last few weeks. Uh, they now, they do have to play the three top teams in the division before the season ends. But um, Gary, in regards to their situation, I mean, they're still operating under the, you know, the director of football, uh, Dermot Lennon, still uh, managing them. And I think I remember back in April, he was saying, you know, they wanted to get an appointment done as quickly as possible after Martin Russell and then parted ways it hasn't happened but it's interesting though towards the end of the season and including the dark the two two draw in the derby there with longford that they have found some sort of vein of form despite all the struggles they've had this season yeah look as, as quickly as possible it's not very quick is it it's, it's certainly dragging but it, there's a job there for somebody you know for next season and i think you know the way they've they've progressed you know in the latter half of the season you know it's it, testament to the, the group of players that have been there you know they, they've obviously knuckled down and, and uh, you know put put some decent performances together and you've got to remember like these players are all obviously you know they're out there playing and uh, you know they're looking for whether a new contract at that club or they're in the they're in the shop window to go to another club as well so you, you'll always have that with players when, there's, when it comes to short-term contracts or um you know players you know they really you know from now to the end of the season and playing against the top clubs i think you'll find that that they'll put in good performance there because they'll be eager to go to some of these top clubs that might be going to Premier Division. It's an opportunity for them to kind of showcase their talent and, and possibly get a get a move, um, you know, to to uh, to up a division maybe or to a team that goes up. So, um, you know, it's no surprise when, when you know, there's, obviously there's a little bit of stability there that they've they've I suppose they've gone with the. I suppose the form that they have from there to the end of the season and they're going to look at an appointment for next season. So they've made that clear that that's what they're going to do. Uh, and players are probably just settled into their roles. You know, there is a little bit of stability there in terms of they're not going to be watching who's going to be coming in the gate every week to, to manage the club. So they've just knuckled down. And great credit to the players, you know, they, they put in some really good performances and, you know, a draw away to against Longford um, with good good results on the weekend. But, you know, they've been scoring goals and putting in good performances um, and get a few points on the board as well. Yeah, and then the Champions League live Champions League game we've got on RT two and RT player this week. It's Liverpool against Rangers. That is Tuesday night, uh, seven thirty. If you want to tune in for that, and they're coming off the back of or Liverpool that is coming off the back of a three three draw with Brighton at the weekend, where they had their first choice midfield back, so Thiago, Fabinho, and Henderson. But there's a real sense of kind of weird sense of drift David looking at them over the last few weeks before the international break and then you know the the continued problems then that they had um on Saturday I mean I was just looking at a piece Andy Jones wrote in the Athletic and he was just talking about their tactics and their mentality and he just said um or this is a he quoted Klopp basically who said I cannot say I was 100% convinced we would not concede a goal when we were 3-2 up which leads to a sense of uncertainty and then Van Dijk also um, said we are trying to put pressure on the ball but teams are adapting to us as well so there's a real sense um, there's a real sense of uncertainty there and especially when you look at the stat of uh, I think in the seven games they played in the league they've they've conceded first in five of those so there's they're struggling to adapt to something I think uncertainty drift and sleepwalking could be the team for this uh, <laughs> podcast <laughs> um, like again like I can only say this from the point of view of when you're covering games and when you're looking at it and like Gary again will know better because he's been in the position as a player but like when Klopp is saying that it's, I just think it's a case of teams when they can see like when United finished up after Ferguson teams just can sense when another team isn't as strong as they are before and they actually have that little bit of confidence do you know what I mean where 
and they just have a, they're a bit braver about how they can go about them. And like they've Liverpool have been punished just because they haven't been hitting those same levels as as before in terms of like the way they were playing. Because like let's be honest, they they've been the only ones who have stopped Man City from absolutely dominating the league. And now it looks as if maybe Arsenal. That's it. The onus is going to be on Arsenal now to try and keep up with keep up with City because no one else is going to be capable of doing it. But like. Again, I don't get. I genuinely don't get the sense that I think there's loads wrong. There could just be little bits here and there, and because other clubs can maybe sense that, other teams sense it when it, in moments and in games, maybe they have that little bit more adventure, and maybe a fella might push forward a bit more, and might want to close down a bit more because you kind of sense it. Whereas when Liverpool were kind of maybe all conquering and dominant, you're kind of fearing a little bit. You're stepping back, thinking, "Oh, if I go here, I could be punished." Or if a fella fullback breaks forward, there could be space in behind and. Again, I was just looking at it from from on match of the day with some of the analysis that, that they gave and it kind of highlighted a little bit where you just kind of see even Salah maybe not walking as hard, going the other way. And little bits like kind of make, make the point sometimes when I'm doing kind of match reports or kind of analysis pieces on matches where like everything matters in a match. Like little things have little trickle effects where if a fella sees his man not tracking back or doesn't close down, like little things all just add up and it just adds to a sense of, of confidence for an opponent. And I think that's just where Liverpool are at at the moment where like they've been so good for so long and like it could just be a case of bit by bit, not that it needs a massive rebuild, but just kind of finding the little little gaps where they, they can get that like just maybe just sense of total control back and that, that can be difficult I don't think any team can, can ever have total control but Liverpool seem to almost have it in, in games and before and like it can be easy to look at Van Dijk and, and all the rest of it but it's not as if I don't know I think he turned into a was it a memo I suppose after that the thing where this, when he went to close down Sancho when he had his hands behind his back and all the rest of it and it's easy to mock sure people were mocking Haaland during pre-season when he was miss, missing chances but just as easily as you can be asking questions about Liverpool and saying, oh, what's gone wrong? All it will take will be for them to put in a couple of good performances again, which they're well capable of and get some serious results. And then they could be back, they can the show could be back on the road from, you know? Yeah. That's, I, I, that would be my I, I, view of it. I don't think it's one way or the other. It's like, oh, things are crumbling or anything like that. I just think it's just a little, little kind of yeah, small margin. It is little things. I think they, I think they're definitely, you know, not the, they played with massive intensity uh, over the last number of years and that kind of, that's very hard to maintain that level of intensity, and they were ferocious the way that they they yeah. pressed teams. And you know, it's definitely you can see that that's just not quite there. And because of that, they're a little bit more fragile then at the back, and they're conceding goals. And you're right in what you say. Like, there's that fear factor with Liverpool. Like teams used to turn up to Liverpool, and they were probably beaten in the tunnel because they're going out here and they're going, "Well, I hope we don't get a hiding." Mm-hmm. Where there's not that probably fear factor attached to them right now. Whereas yeah. I remember we would go out the north, and you know, you look across the tunnel, and you know, well, we've got these, we're going to give them a hiding. Um, yeah. but, and Liverpool are probably the same. You know, they look at teams and they say, well, look, we're going to go out. And because they're a little bit fragile, teams sense that. And you've got to remember, like, the Premier League is stacked with teams with huge quality from top to bottom. Um, and, you know, if that fear factor is not there and teams are allowed to kind of grow into the game and the press is not quite as, as ferocious as it has been, well, that gives teams an opportunity and, and, and they sense that at the minute. And look, and you're right in what you say, it, it won't take a whole lot of, fixing and you know a, a small bit they'll up the intensity they'll, they'll keep a, a, a run of team sheets look i can't see them win the league and um, but yeah. they will probably put together a really really good run and be very difficult to beat at a point and just yeah. like on that sorry on that point you make about players being beaten like remember i don't know if you saw the documentary the arsenal documentary but you see what arteta did before the liverpool game last season where he talked about how much anfield can have an impact and he was like 
they're learning during training. You'll never walk alone, and all the atmospheres. Just so players could be prepared for it. Like that was. I know, obviously, maybe if you watch that documentary, like Arteta has a few gimmicks with with some of his um, pre-match stuff, but that just gives you an indication of how teams or managers can be thinking about what they were going into with Anfield. Whereas now, there just is that little sense that if you can coin, if they're not, if they're not at it hundred percent, and listen, they still got back into the game. This is the thing: like they got back into the game, got ahead in the game, hmm. and then Brighton just were able to have that little bit of class and get and get back in and, and get and get their point, but. Um, I just definitely don't think I don't think there'll be many managers this season playing. You never walk alone and train them before playing them this year. But like, but I just don't. I think you can go one, one you can go one way with it and say, oh, like it's a disaster and all the rest. Of it. And it probably feels like it because they have been so good. But I, I, I do think Klopp is too good of a manager, and the players have shown before that they're too good and not to be able to to turn it around and, and get things right. And it's. Maybe if they kind of readjust their their own kind of ambitions in terms of yeah they're not going for the league, make sure that they're qualifying and doing well in say Champions League and, and making sure they're, they're going in for for top four because I get the moment how things are at the moment nothing is certain for Liverpool really isn't. Yeah, what is certain though their fixture list uh, in the league at least it's Arsenal and then City next after that so that might just concentrate minds for them as well but uh, just on the Rangers game actually uh, Gary obviously Rangers have started this uh, group stage campaign in pretty terrible form 4-0 defeat Ajax and then also losing 3-0 to, uh, to, to Napoli looking at it from a Liverpool point of view especially at Anfield um, now and again look we know football is football and as much as you said you know sometimes you know you can beat you have a team beaten in the tunnel uh, and you can't there's no givens but really looking at it both on form the you know the quality of players on both teams it's surely a formality well look formality would be harsh but I don't see Rangers getting um, any change at Liverpool obviously given the fact that they've had a, a disappointing, although it's a draw, it's a disappointing result for Liverpool um, at the weekend. And you can certainly, you know, I think Liverpool will turn up European nights in, in Anfield are special. Um, and, you know, playing Rangers there, I'm sure they'll be, they'll be gung-ho to get the, to get the win and they look, they, they need to, they need to pick up the, the maximum points there. But look, I, I just think that, you know, you're, you're right, you point out Rangers form coming into it. Um, I think Liverpool will, will win comfortably. Yeah, and in the North London derby, David, uh, there were two winners, Arsenal and Matt Doherty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although, do you know what was curious? I, I thought it was interesting that Hardy Kane was at the NFL match yesterday. They yeah. won the, the Minnesota League. Could you imagine if that was Paul Pogba? Imagine if Paul Pogba having like, lost a, a big derby match and rocks up, rocks up the next day, big smile on his face, happy out, not a bother, and your team has just literally lost their biggest match of the season. So that was very interesting. I wonder if there'd be many kind of um, comment pieces about Harry Kane. Well, and his... does Graham Sunes have something to say, basically? I think yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, and he will be on, he'll be on TalkSport soon enough. I'm sure there'll be, there'll be content flying up on Twitter soon enough on social media about what Graham Sunes has to say. But um, again, I just I just think, like we're talking about teams, I just think Arsenal and the work at Arteta, just, it, I thought he came out on that documentary I mentioned earlier, I thought he came out that very well, just in terms of how he deals with players and some of the stuff I thought was gas of what he does with uh, team talks and and all the rest of it. But I'm sure, I'm sure Gary has some stories about Stephen Kenny and what he does as well. Sometimes there's a bit of eccentricity, isn't it? Isn't a bad thing. But I just think like the signings he's made have just been so shrewd. Like recruitment, 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 recruitment is so important. Like it's one of the we talk about Liverpool. Like when they were when they were getting with the players that they were adding in, sometimes unfancy, unfancy players, and they just made such a big difference to that team and how they wanted to play and. 
you get that feeling there with Arsenal that that's what they've had, like the players they've added in, like Saliba, obviously Zinchenko, Gabriel Jesus, like they've literally added a core a core to the team, and it sometimes it just brings out more from other players around it, like the likes of Zach Gannel, who would have been absolutely hammered by a lot of Arsenal fans. Remember only a few years ago when he was coming off, yeah, coming off the pitch, down, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And like sometimes it just needs a bit of a. I think Arteta has done an exceptional job in galvanizing that club and like that fan base as well, who were kind of like Arsenal would have always been one of those kind of clubs historically, you know, just very respectful the whole marble arch thing and all the rest of it coming through uh, the old Highbury. And yeah, maybe with some of the fan TV stuff that was coming, like they were becoming a bit of a joke, really, because obviously everyone that was coming around it and all the stuff that was going on but Arteta just seems to you don't see any of that anymore because just the work that Arteta has done and and also being allowed to do it and being trusted to do it through maybe a difficult point where results weren't going well you know um so as I said earlier I think like they were well worth well worth a victory I think Emerson Royale like you would wonder will Conte what will Conte think of that in terms of I just thought that was a fella taking an easy way out of a game. Maybe not having it in him to actually say, oh, well, I'll do this because I might go well with the fans, you know, putting putting one on an opposition player who's going back towards his own goal and in danger, but just let his, let his team down. And you would think now Doherty will have that chance to get in. And the last time he got in and he, he kind of stayed there for a bit, there's still obviously doubts. Clear Conte doesn't 100% fancy him at all. That's clear. That's obvious. He would, otherwise, he would have started this season. But if he comes in and does well and... I'm guessing he'll play in the Champions League game. I'm guessing he will play, if, especially if he's going to have to be trusted. Although he, he was, I don't know, you never know. Yeah, Conte, sometimes he can just, I don't know, turn on a player as well and he just leaves him out. But you would like to think that for, for Ireland's sake, Doherty will will play games. Because I do think, and I, like bring it back to, the, to Ireland, I do think his lack of game time cost Ireland a little bit in those games, just because I think in Scotland, definitely tired. I know you highlighted in a piece of it with the 42. Like, if you look back at how he tracked back for Armenia's first goal, it was appalling. It really was in terms of his, and that was in what, the 70th minute. His lack of maybe, I don't think, I, I, there's no way he couldn't have understood the danger and saw the danger that the chance was happening when Armenia broke. But like I said, the, the, the fellow who scores for Armenia is 10 or 15 yards behind them when the first shot is taken that Bazuna touches onto the post. And yet he still gets there before Doherty. So he, he needs to play games and he needs to be sharp. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, and finally, before we go, there was also the Manchester Derby, which went uh, 6-3 the way of City. I'm not going to talk about Erling Haaland. I think we've, we've said and we've said enough about him on this podcast. I don't, what, what, can you, what can you add that hasn't already been said about him? I did want to just touch on the uh, point Roy Keane was making about uh, Cristiano Ronaldo being left on the bench for the entirety of the game. And Eric Den Hag's uh, view afterwards was that he was doing it for Ronaldo's good. I wouldn't bring him in out of respect for his big career. I don't think the look on Ronaldo's face on the bench, I don't know if that will uh, will float with him. But the point Roy Keane was making as well was that Man United have shown disrespect to Ronaldo by not allowing him to leave before the transfer window. And Gary, I don't know, do you do you agree with Roy Keane's take on that? That it has been just like, I mean, on one hand, you have to kind of accept a play, no player is bigger than a club. So there's that as well. Bear, yeah, bear in mind, Gary has got Ronaldo's jersey over his shoulder here. I, I've, got, I've, got, I've got a picture from Harvey Norman and he has a signed Ronaldo jersey over <laughs> And I have this world map, which I don't own either. It just happened to, <laughs> happened to come with the place as well. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I, I actually look, I think Roy is right. I very rarely kind of disagree with Roy. I think he's just so uh, 
brutally honest um, when it comes to you know everything Manchester United and football in general. I think he, he, a lot of the time he's spot on. Um, I think that you know he has been you know he, he's a player of his stature. Like you know he, he's one of the best players ever played, uh, and you know he's the top scorer. In the, I don't know any other club that have their top scorer from the previous season sitting on the bench in a derby game. So when you look mm-hmm. at it in that regard, it, like it, 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 like although they're saying he doesn't fit the system and he doesn't press, and, and Roy makes the point, he puts the ball in the back of the net, which is the most difficult thing to do, and he was their top scorer last year. And then you look at some of the highlights of the game, and, and you look at the pressing of the players that were suited to the system. Were non-existent, you know. Like you, the players were allowed to sling ball sixty yards, diags across the pitch because there was absolutely no pressure on them. And Manchester City made a show of them. Um, it was embarrassing for Man United and Ten Hag. And you know, if if he wants to leave the top scorer on the bench from there to till January and lose him in January possibly, um, all well and good. But I don't think it'll be good, you know, for him or for the atmosphere or or, or from the fans. Like I think you know if if. It, You've got to give him opportunities. Like giving him five minutes here and there. I think he's starting. He scores goals, and um, I think he's he's proven that no matter where he's played, he scored goals. Like he played in bad Manchester United team last year, and scored over twenty goals. So, um, you know they've they've made a few signings. They need to improve. Obviously, they they need to make more signings. But I think you know you, ultimately you need them goals in the team. Yeah, which I think brings us uh, to an end. Uh, so Gary and David, thanks a million for coming on this week. Obviously, Liverpool uh, against Rangers is live on RT2 and the RT player on Tuesday night. And in the words of David Snade, we go again next week. <laughs> <laughs>